So today's episode of the Required Podcast is with Nick Booth, who is the CEO of Seventh Wave. Um, Seventh Wave are a leadership training company who um, have a very strong recruitment practice. Um, they've been very highly recommended in our groups. And um, you know, you'll see from the podcast, Nick's a, Nick's a great guy, super positive. Um, he talks about his background, what he loves about you know, training recruiters, what recruiters could do differently. And lastly, we talk about what we think the state of the market is going to be and what skills recruiters and leaders are going to need going into the market that we're going into. So um, I really hope you enjoy the episode uh, as much as I enjoyed talking to Nick. Welcome to the Required Podcast. We've got a special treat for you this week. Um, one of our training providers, Nick Booth from Seventh Wave. Uh, welcome to the show, Nick. Thanks a lot, Andy. Good morning. Morning, Good morning, morning. everybody. For those who don't know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, you know how you got into the uh, in, into the training industry, how you got into the recruitment segment, and um, yeah, a little bit about Seventh Wave. Okay, brilliant. So yeah, I started um, in retail um, back in when I was twenty one, when working for Woolworths uh, in Nottingham. Did that high street general management for about six years, and then I moved to uh, macro wholesalers, which was brilliant for me because it was. It was it literally transformed my mentality around leadership. It was a little bit focused around quite directive leadership, and we were focused wholly on the PL, like delivering a bottom line number. I ran uh, Glasgow, Belfast, and then ended up in Harlesden in London. Um, big big store, turned over sixty five million in a year, six hundred staff, eighty different cultures. So I learned a lot about leadership in that space. And then I made a conscious decision to move to a company that wasn't necessarily focused on. Uh, bottom line profit but more around team engagement leading to bottom line profit so I chose to move to uh, uh, B&Q so I ran their sheds uh, for about six years and then when I got to my late 30s I thought you know what I fancy a different challenge now retail is good but it's very cyclical so I had to fancy a different challenge and I thought what is it I love doing and what I really love doing is developing teams and individuals so you relatively limited where you run a store even though it's a big store with 500 staff there's only a limited amount you can do so I thought I dipped my toe into, I did an MBA at the time, and I, part of that was uh, doing some coaching, some leadership stuff. I thought, you know what, there's a, a bit of an industry out there. So I learned to become a coach. I spent some time on my days off when I was at B&Q because we worked every weekend, so I get days off in the week, and I'd spent them with training companies. And I thought, you know what, I've got something transferable here. Because at the time, you don't, you're very limited, quite blinkered. You don't realise what your skill sets you've got. Um, and I stand up in a classroom. I talk about some of my leadership stories, some of my challenges, and attach some models to that, whatever that might be, situational leadership, hit some stories with it. And they went down really well. So I thought, you know what, this, this could work. So I made the decision when I was turned 40 to, to leave and I set myself up as a coach um, and, and a trainer. So we looked at that. And what happened was, which was really interesting, I then managed to get a gig in in with hydrogen, actually, in Australia. So I went over there and spent three weeks with hydrogen and what was fascinating was we went in there and it was a little bit like shooting from the hip regarding leadership and coaching and stuff. But we started to see one a real an interesting involvement of a good biller. So a good biller, fantastic, loves what loves what she does on desk, hitting the numbers, earning a, you know, a good few quid a year or a few dollars or whatever it is. And then the leader says, let's give her two people to manage. And suddenly she's on desk as a billing leader. Now, this is transfer. Now, hang on a minute. I've got my core hours. I know what I've got to do. And I've got these two here next to me going, what time do we go for lunch? And how do you do this letter again? And how do you get on LinkedIn? And this person then was a really good bill. He's being distracted by these two. And more importantly, they've never been taught how to lead ever in their lives. 
So what happens then is they go, they fail because their biddings go down. So they lose money. <clears throat> they get frustrated with these two because they're not picking up what their skill sets. And then these two complain to her boss that she's not a very good leader. So it's like a, a double whammy of, of, of unhappiness, really. So I started to see there was an opportunity there. So I came away from the, from Australia and I then worked with a coach and, and we developed a program called Seventh Wave. Um, and so we've got a very definitive Seventh Wave program. And we work with probably 50% of our clients. Yeah, we roll, we've got a rolling, I think at the moment, 60 clients on our books at the moment, um, we, which is fast, fabulous. So we're really, really pleased with that. We're about to hit our thousandth client, but that, we'll talk about that later. Um, and we developed a Seventh Wave program. So that's it really why is it called seventh wave okay so it's, it's a good question so thanks for that I, I wish i really wish i could i could take credibility but my wife kerry came up with the wave uh with the name wave which i which was frustratingly annoying because i think i was just about to get it so basically the reason it's called seventh wave is um we work uh, six workshops uh one day a month um for six months and we call the workshops waves and on a, if you sit on the beach watching the the sea come in it's a natural phenomenon that the seventh wave is always the big one at the back it's all the one with the most energy etc so we do six workshops um the first workshop is all about getting to know you the second workshop is all about the challenges of leadership and what makes it hard especially in, in, in any industry as being a leader it's, it is very very difficult workshops um three four and five um we are all about the tools the skills everything we practice with them as well so it's all real life stuff uh, with stories as well about to bring these things to life then on the final workshop workshop six what happens is the cohort the group 12 15 of them present back to the slt of the business on how they're going to improve the engagement and the profitability of that business by their involvement what they're going to do to do that and and it's fantastic it goes down so well so after six months six workshops we leave you with the seventh wave so the seventh wave at the back is what we leave you with the engaged excited and educated cohort a team, a group of managers. Um, and that's why it's called Seventh Wave. So it comes from the film Papillon, where he escapes off the, his island, the Devil's Island. He, he does it by following the Seventh Wave. And we were watching that movie or the remake. And, uh, and my wife said, oh, Seventh Wave, why don't you call your business Seventh Wave? I was like, I might do. <laughs> but you're not having any commission. You know, so that's what it's, it is. It's one of those things, isn't it? Um, where where someone else comes up with a genius idea and you really wish it was you. Um, it was actually Georgiana <laughs> that came up with the name Required. So, right. um, and, and it's a play on, obviously, recruitment, um, wired from the technology point of view, and obviously a play on an English word of required. So we're like, that's just brilliant. So um, I, I really <laughs> wish, you know, I could take credit for that. But um, no, it's, uh, it's <laughs> Georgiana. So um, <laughs> dealing with recruitment companies and also dealing with, with other retail companies. And, and what's interesting is I think so many people from retail or estate agency join recruitment just so they get their weekends back. So yes, uh, it's think, interesting that, you know, that was not the reason you left, but one of the reasons you were able to. Um, I guess what's what's the difference between your customers outside of recruitment and your customers inside of recruitment? Are there any sort of core differences? I, I, there is definitely some core differences. I would say that. Okay, so I'm going to use a bit of clumsy language, but when I'm with uh, when any of us, because we've got about forty trainers now that are all accredited in Seventh Wave, when any of us work within that that recruitment industry. It's just genuinely more fun. You know, you've got some very feisty individuals. You've got to, to be a good recruiter. You've got to have, you know, 
balls of steel. You know, you've got to be confident. You've got to have amazing. Yeah, you've got to have really good uh, emotional intelligence. You've got to be driven. And, you know, all of these things are, are factors to be a good recruiter. And so don't forget the people in front of us have been identified as potential leaders. So billing leaders, one of the toughest jobs in recruitment. And so what we get when we got typically get these 12, 15 people in front of us, we just get a very colourful and high energy team. Admittedly, you know, we work in retail, we work in hospitality, we work in the finance industry and, and, and no disrespect to any other industry. But when you work with a big, um, let's say a big finance house, the people who sit in front of us have been through quite a lot of filters and they probably have a different view of how what's how to get success. And they're just not as feisty as as a team of recruiters. So and we love it because it it holds us, you know, it holds us to account because I I remember I came back to London and did some work in um, a, a, in a company in London. Actually, it was auto hydrogen, actually. Then we moved into Lawrence Harvey and we did some work with them. And there was an individual sitting at the back on his BlackBerry just going, why am I here? I can earn more money back on my desk. And when you get asked a question like that, you, as, a, as a trainer and coach, you've got to be able to answer the question. And it really was, look, just give me a day. and You don't have to come back next month if you don't want to. And luckily, never had anyone, no, no one's ever not come back because they've started to realise it's a little bit like being a premiership footballer. I've got a life here that when I get to about 35, 36, 37, I've got a choice. Do I become a leader or a headhunter? That type of thing. So and obviously what we want them to be is to become leaders and then leaders of leaders, because that's when that pyramid happens and the true magic happens because they can earn off others. So, yeah. So in answer to your question, we just like it because they're more fun. <laughs> Scott Fulton had a brilliant expression actually and, and I think Nick Tapas has been um, uh, you know, one of one of the S3 leaders out in out in the Netherlands been using it recently just reminding people but he's you know Nick had 50 contractors and Scott said to you know you, you've got to get 50 consultants you know, to be you know to be super fat powerful because yeah. you've gone as far as you can you need to get 50 other people doing that as well and I think I think that's once you show people that actually that's when it becomes really really powerful and I think you're right as well I mean recruitment is a really tough gig I, I admire the guys yeah. and girls that can you know do it for 10 15 20 years because it's really really hard graft every month you start yeah. starting at zero um you know there's there's that constant rejection you've got to be working you know generally at a super high pace to um yeah. to make sure that you're, you're always competitive and yeah, I think I think you know it's it's almost and then you know then throw that in and manage a couple of people who don't know what they're doing. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And you've got all of those challenges. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 it is a very up and down industry. You know, I've worked with people that have had thousands of no's before they got a yes, but their resilience just pushes them through, and it's incredible. I mean. I think recruitment used to get a bit of a bad rap. And, you know, I, even I was guilty of thinking about that. You know, what are these recruiters? You know, in, in back in my day, I was, I was recruited and headhunters would ring me up, promise me the earth and never come back to me and all of that stuff. And I remember when I was working with Lawrence Harvey, my son had just finished, my eldest had just finished um, university. And he said he wasn't sure what to do. So I said, look, I'm doing some training tomorrow in Lawrence Harvey in London. And it says, come watch me. And I sat in with... With a guy called Mike Giorgio now, who runs the US uh, for Lawrence Harvey or HI. And he sat down with him and just spent the day with him. And we got the train all the way home. I said, What do you think, Jack? He says, I want to do that. I want to do that for a living. That is amazing. You know, so actually being immersed in that kind of high pressure, high fun, high reward environment is something that is just, 
it, you know, it just sends shivers down your spine because it's all there. But you've got to be resilient. You've got to have that ability to plow on, work hard and do the same thing every day. And the rewards are unbelievable if you get it right. Absolutely fascinating. You know, we love it. We, are, we love being part of this world. I think the thing I love most about recruitment as an industry, um, I, I actually think your effort equals results. And yeah. it, it, it happens at various different times. And, you know, but I think over the long run, and a lot of people don't stay in the industry to see the long run. I think if you're putting that effort in, um, it is super powerful, both in terms of um, not just financial reward, but also as well, um, I think actually it is a rewarding career. I think the more, if you, if you, look at not what you're doing, i.e. I'm placing people into, into roles, but you know, I'm building an airplane, you know, I'm building um, you know, fifth generation you know, mobile networks, you know, we're building life-saving, you know, we're helping that. Um, you know, there, there is more of a purpose that we're just gonna yeah. you know, find a job and fill it. Oh, absolutely. And I think when we connect with that, when we cut the, what we do a lot in our trade, we talk about hearts and minds you know, and about what you are actually doing. You're not just trading one person to another job. What you're doing, these are, that person, that person you're putting into that job is so important. So my middle son, Josh, um, interestingly, he's an engineer and he's just finished his engineering apprentice. And I hooked him up with two of our customers, you know, with Trenovo and another client. And they actually did some work finding Josh a job. And I went, and I'm actively training those guys at the same time. I said, do you have any idea? the power of your conversation with my son yesterday. You made him feel engaged, he's happy, he feels safe, he was nervous, it was a fog out there and now it's clear, that's the power of you. And when they connect that bit with what they do, it becomes, it's that hearts and minds piece. You know, it, it really is huge, Andy, it's, it's very powerful. What, what was interesting, I mean, uh, you know, I, I didn't really do recruitment since about 2005. I went into operational roles, yeah. uh, commercial roles, and, and, and then obviously, you know, consulting. But I think what was really interesting for me was that, you know, I look back and I see how people have used technology, how people built relationships long term in a different way. And I'd go and do it again so much different. I wish someone had told me at the time what I know now. And that's that. Yeah. I guess that's the benefit of going through a course like this. You sort of cut out absolutely because it, we get them to reflect. So one of the, one of our things we talk about on the first day, well, the first slide we put up is the ripple. It's like a ripple effect, and we say you never underestimate the power of you, because when you walk into a room, you can affect everybody just by what what attitude you're wearing on your face, and then your behaviours. Never mind, because you know I always say that people they join a company but they leave a leader. And if you can engage with your member of staff and your team, they will work with you and remember you forever for good and bad reasons. So it's very important we engage with them. And, and it is that point. But often with recruiters, they will think a week ahead. Like you mentioned it earlier, they'll be thinking to the maybe to the end of the next quarter. But what we work with them on is to go, OK, then you're 24. What does good look like at 30? Where could you be? And we create this North Star that is so powerful. They go, right, I'm going to plow on with this. Now I get the why. Because when you connect with that why, bang, the rest is relatively easy. I'm not saying you're not going to have hard yards. A rainy Tuesday in December is going to be a bit crap for everybody. Right? But if you know that you're going to buy that yacht or that house, or when you, you know, if you, all of these, and, and the beauty of your industry, it allows that to happen because you can actually smash it and get some numbers, 
you know, some put some big money into your bank and actually allow some of that to be rewarded. But it's not always about money. Someone says, you know, my my Nirvana at 30, you know, I want to be main board. You know, I want to be COO. Brilliant. So what get out and we work backwards from that. So trying to get them to see beyond it. So that's really, really important. Well, one of my business partner daughter's um, biggest pet hates is people quoting business books in um, in any form of meeting. So I'm just going to talk about Cynic, Simon Sinek, um, start with the why, just to check he listens and also just to really wind him up and annoy him because it is, it is, it is one of his pet pet hates. So, yeah, look, I, yeah, I, I, I think once, you, once, once people see beyond, it, it's, it's a job and see it's a career. Um, I mean, I, I remember my mum literally said I had got a job at, at Huxley and she was like, when are you going to get a proper job? And it, it probably it, it probably took till, um, you know, as, as crude as it sounds, it took till I'd bought a flat and paid the deposit yeah. on a flat and had a company Porsche sat on the drive for her to actually realise that it, it actually, you know, was okay. And... Um, yeah, it was it, it was one of those things that she didn't actually get it. You know, I think people yeah. outside of the industry don't actually understand that. Well, why would you do that? You know, why why would why would any company pay for a recruiter when they could just put an advert yeah. out or you know go onto a job or you know those 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 type of things? So yeah, I think I think, I, I, I think as well recruiters don't help themselves. I don't think I don't think recruiters themselves value what they do in the profession they have. I think they, um, I could be really cheesy and say they, they, they don't until they come on our programme. Um, but once we do, once we start to run that impactfulness of the, the effect that they, what they have on individuals and how they look after people and build great relationships and become true leaders, um, I think that's that's what we really focus on. The power of you is, is massive. I mean, it, for me, when you can unlock that with certain people, when they see themselves as that, how the positive effect they have on others, that's when the true magic happens, as far as I'm concerned. And also, we talk about aspiration a lot. We talk about where you're, where are you going to head? What can you do and have a balance? And we talk about a balance in your life, and we talk about work, home, and well-being. And the very fact that those three things, that trinity, should be respected about what it looks like, because you could do. I know recruiters at the moment, you know, in London doing 80 hour weeks, they're just going to burn out. They're just not going to be effective. They're not going to be good partners and they're not going to be good to their own bodies, you know, and it's about maxing out on that efficiency, being the most efficient you can with any form of communication and genuine communication and connectivity with another human being is so important, you know, and the one thing I do notice, we talk about what is the, some of the particular traits within recruitment. We, one of our second things we talk about is is Patrick Benson. I am now going to quote a, a management book. You know, it's what oh, I do. Brilliant, brilliant. I make, yeah, uh, I make sure you definitely listen. <laughs> Show him this bit. So we talk about Patrick Lencioni a lot and the five dysfunctions of a team. And and what and, and the model in essence is you've got to have trust with another human being, like me and you trust each other, Andy, because we know each other a while. We can have really healthy conflict. Okay, once you've got that healthy conflict. You can hold yourself accountable and that accountability leads to results. But the trust at the bottom of the pyramid is built on vulnerability. And what we work on really hard in our program is being vulnerable. It's OK to say you don't know. It's OK to share you know, things about home life or whatever. It's fine to do that. And showing vulnerability develops trust with another human being. And that's that often can be missed within recruitment. We tend to see these alpha alphas coming in going look work hard and get this rolex 
And but in reality, they more go out and just say, look, it was pretty shit on my first week. Come on, this is how I got through it. Showing vulnerability, then you get a bond with a human being that will never be broken. It's very, very powerful. So we use Lencioni for that, amongst others. <laughs> the, the, the podcast released yesterday, actually, and depending on when this one goes out, that might not make chronological sense, but um, it's with a guy called Chris O'Connell. And um, Chris very much talks about that. And and actually, you know, he, he's actually gone probably further than that in terms of showing vulnerability to colleagues. You know, it's actually... He's done it on, you know, the, the social, you know, on the LinkedIn platform and, and actually, you know, comes across as, you know, a, a really top guy, you know, and just really believable. Yeah. And, you know, if, if people can be honest around that, well, they can be honest in business. And, you know, yeah. I think, you know, it was, it, was, it was a really interesting discussion with him as someone who's built a 25 million turnover business to, to hear him, to, to hear him talk about that. So, um, Today is 18th of August. Um, yeah, I, I don't know what the bad news is today. I think interest rates going up to 4%. I read, you know, yesterday's numbers is inflation 10%, can go to 13%. It feels like, chicken licking, the sky is falling in on us. So, um, <laughs> um, but it's, but, you know, we've all been here before. Um, yeah, you know, I, I I was certainly hearing uh, you know you know I, I joined a contracts team where everyone had tested their stuff and wasn't doing anything before Y two K dot com boom credit crunch you know so you know uh, COVID so you know we've we've been through a few of these how's this one going to pan out for the industry do you think I, I think it's I think it'd be challenging I really do I think over the last two years because of lockdown and people working from home I think the recruitment industry has boomed because of that because for two reasons um i'm not particularly order. i think there's been a big change in industry so me, there's been a lot of movement uh within businesses i think certain so the tech areas have just blown up and they're just doing amazing so millions of literally millions of vacancies in the uk over the last two years i, I think the bit that a lot of people don't click onto is the fact that when i'm before covid if you try and get a hold of me and i'm at work you can ring me at lunchtime early in the morning or in the evening. When I'm working from home, you can meet me anytime you want. Now, suddenly you've got all these recruiters going, I can speak to loads of people, right? And make loads of money. So that's definitely happened. So at the moment or prior to today, you know, recruitment industry booming. It's been unbelievable. I'd, I'm seeing some incredible numbers out there. If, if the press and everything else is to be believed and the dark clouds come and we go into recession, what will happen? There's definitely some recruiters that think they're bulletproof. Um, and recession proof now that's really interesting because i think that mentality is okay but i think it's important to kind of face into that and go what does that really mean because what's likely to happen in my humble opinion is you'll find some people be running for the hills um at the moment there's some crazy money's being offered out there at the moment, uh, with other recruiters trying to headhunt others i think personally this is the time to focus on your teams work hard on your systems and work hard on your engagement and focus wholly on how you are looking after your people, because no matter what happens. And when I say people, I mean, internal and external, both candidates and clients. So, you know, you focus on your team, your candidates, your clients and get the best relationships you possibly can. Then we'll, then you then you become almost bulletproof. But, but just saying it is not a good thing. You've got to face into it, making sure that people want to work for you. They feel safe and they're going to work hard to do it. I remember when the oil and gas price plummeted um, and I went into, it was a coinc pure coincidence. I was in two recruiters on the same day. 
I walked into one in the morning and the oil and gas team leader was there and he was going, he looked ashen and he went, Nick, this is a nightmare. I've had to let my team go. They're all working across the floor now on different, oh my God. And I'm just going to, we're closing my desk. This is a nightmare. I'm having to start again. I'm having to scrub my database. What is the point, you know? Of, and it was like, oh my God. And I was like, really? Is this what you, is this what you do? You know? And he says, Nick, who's going to, there's no recruitment happening at all in the oil and gas industry because of what's happened. I says, fine. Okay. I wandered off. And that afternoon I went into another recruiter, also recruited in oil and gas. And there's this guy sitting there and he just looked proud as punch. I says, are you okay? Are you on something? No, no, I'm actually just on something. I'll tell you what I'm on, Nick. I'm going to make some serious money. I says, right, what are you doing? He says, I'm betting on my future. And I said, go on, talk to me. And he says, look, I've got a team of 12. I've let, I've let four go to some other, you know, some other industries in, in the room. But I tell you what now, I am ringing around every single oil and gas, oil and gas clients I've got and telling them that I'm going nowhere and I'm going to be there for them. He said, it's a natural resource. It's a limited resource. Yep. This price will go back up. And I tell you now, that guy now is making, he made so much money in the next 18 months when that price went back up because he was there for his clients. He says, every one of my competitors have ran for the hills. Yep. He said, they're, they're picking the phone. He said, I've just got, I've got vacuum after vacuum after vacuum. And, and there I am. And, he, and I says, Nick, and he did it. And I tell you now, I won't tell you the guy's name because you probably know him. And it's not fair to put it on a podcast, but I tell you, he he just nailed it and if you follow that mentality now moving into a into a, a potential recession you will not go far wrong you will not go far wrong because people will come and work for you you know because they work for leaders they don't work for the company yeah and, and it's about being consistent i mean there, there is there is opportunity i mean i've you know i i just look at numbers and data and you know i remember uh, you know they're very rough numbers, but it was generally, you know, viewed that about 60% of recruiters were furloughed. Now the jobs index yeah. was down 40%. So that just says to me, it's a better market because, Absolutely. <laughs> so if you actually look at the raw numbers of that and, and actually what happened in COVID, I mean, it, it wasn't, it wasn't classic. So no one knew what to do and no. various different people did different things. Um, I think what was interesting is those that sort of, followed the data and didn't panic you know you, you don't want to you don't want to cut back too quickly um and you don't want to cut back too slowly but you've just got to get it right so those who are able to sort of follow the data cut the cloth accordingly um you know again stay close to the clients you know then didn't have to when the recovery came they were on the upswing and they were able to do it i think what's really interesting from a trainer's perspective is Nobody joined that industry, you know, not a lot of people joined the industry in 2020. So you've got a whole sort of missed intake. Then in 2021, sort of early uh, 22, but say H1, the business was there, the jobs were there. So you've got a whole group of people that have never really had the business develop. I mean, it's been very tough to get candidates and maintain candidates. So those skills yeah. have been sharpened. But, you know, I'm, I'm seeing across the network, across my advisories, a real inability to go out and hunt and you know that those you know, those those some will make it some won't but also yeah. there's gonna be a massive premium for those who can hunt uh, honestly i think one thing that came out for me which was fascinating it was a real contrast between businesses and this wasn't just recruitment uh, but there was certainly some recruiters that did, did, did this there's one recruiter i did for they, what they used to do they have a, a monthly board meeting typical office setup covid hit and they went, and it was the best example of agile leadership I've ever seen. 
they went from a monthly board meeting to a daily war room at four o'clock with the SLT every day, four o'clock on Zoom. So it was easy. People didn't have to travel into London or fly in, you know, and that was it. And suddenly this team went from being a little bit standoffish, kind of okay with each other. Within two weeks, they were the most bonded team I've ever seen. And what's really interesting, post-COVID, guess what they do? They still have the four o'clock every day, you know? And yet some of them might be taking it on the car on the way home or whatever it may be. But that the way they dealt with that, that agile leadership was absolute perfection. And I saw out of our team, out of probably about 50 clients at the time, we probably saw about 20 that had developed this agile mentality, like this growth mentality, like you just described. There is actually more money there to be taken. Absolutely, you know, what you just said, Andy, and that's it. With the growth mindset and agile mentality, they just they just took took it to new heights and made some really good decisions as well about that. The ones that didn't, they were just a little bit lazy, a little bit tired, and people left and headhunters were coming in and picking them off, you know, and that's that was the danger for them. So it was it was a real contrast for us as almost independent observers, but yet involved in these businesses at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think there was a real opportunity around that. I mean, I, I started my consulting business in March 2020, started the network business with Daughter and Charlotte in June 20. And, you know, it was it was a great reset as much as anything. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, you know, it was it was pretty dark, you know, and, you know, um, I, I wouldn't, you know, I, I wouldn't want to go through that feeling again of starting a business in March 20. But um, <laughs> through, through adversity, yeah, we yeah we all sort of seem to to get there, and I think what's interesting you, you talked about people overpaying, and I think you know you, you talk about football um, and Premiership football, and I think the yeah. transfers are being driven by the big clubs. So if the big clubs spend, it trickles down. What's really interesting is that the big clubs in the recruitment game, uh, you know, when I talk about sort of the in-house teams, so Meta, um, Google, uh, Apple. They've, they've all recently laid off or, you know, they're saying we're cooling down. So yeah. when they when they cool down, you know, everyone starts to cool down. So, but again, you can look at that as a world's closing in or actually we're near close to talent we've not been able to get close to for the last two, two three years. Um, so it, it depends which way you look at it. I think one one thing we talk about, so I do a lot of, uh, I'm not name dropping, but we do a lot of, we do the seventh wave program, but we also do a lot of C-suite um, work at the moment. So I do an awful lot of this myself, where we do kind of basically coaching the group and we talk about cultural architecture. So cultural architecture is about whatever your culture is of your business is down to you, no one else in the world. So how you make and create that culture. And there's some very, very powerful stories out there. And uh, many of them I've got to share, but one of them is this um, this assistant manager, uh, a number two in a small recruitment firm up in your up in Manchester, believe it or not. He um, the team of about thirty people. He was offered hundred k to go to Amazon, one hundred thousand pounds. His base currently is about fifty, and he chose not to go. And when I'm saying you're going to double your salary, and even with bonus you get eighty, he says, "I love this culture. I, I love the team." I love the way we're going. I love the culture. He says, I don't want to go and work for that other business because the culture, it will not be this. Yeah. So when you are creating a culture, I, I think it's easy to say, oh, cultural architecture, it's a buzzword. It's not, it's reality because people love that. They love being part of that world, you know, and, but it doesn't come by magic out the, still, out the from the sky. You create it. 
your behaviors, your communication style, your interest in others, your vulnerability, all of that creates a culture. And that's what people work for. And that's what people remember. So I, I'd never underestimate that. And, and if we create a culture of safe, hardworking practices through a, through a, uh, a recession, then you'll come out, you'll come out the other side, you know? What, what I've noticed actually is where, you know, recruiters have gone from agency to the dark side, as we call it, to the, uh, to the in-house and, and for substantially bigger packages. Yeah. It wasn't the package originally, you know, it wasn't the reason they looked. Um, it's probably the reason, you know, someone will sit there and say, oh yeah, they left because they, you know, they, they doubled. But, you know, when, when we sort of went through and did some exit interviews and, and dug down on it, it was because either they were underperforming um, and yeah. hadn't been stretched and pushed, almost killed with kindness, um, yeah. or, you know, they, they, they didn't buy into the culture or, you know, there was, it was how they were treated during COVID. You know, those, they, there was, there was something that, yeah, yeah. that wasn't the reason they went. Yeah, you know, that you know that might have been the reason they ended up going, but it wasn't the reason they looked in the first place. Yeah, I, I honestly, so I I often say when you've got a lever, a lever, and there's a lot of figures in this space, right? But a six month in lever will cost a business right round about round between three and four times their salary. Okay, yeah. so you're talking on average about 30, 40 k, massive numbers. Now that is profit you're paying them. So how many sales do you have to do up here to pay for that? Now, and, and when you start seeing that, you're thinking that is a lot of placements. That is a hell of a lot of placements for me to deliver that way down there. So you, you, you're absolutely right. And I think it's been very mindful of that. What I would say is gold dust. If any of your, you know, anyone listening to this, if the one thing I'd advise, well, lots of things, obviously I could talk to death about this, but when you've had a lever, pick up the phone to them six months after they've gone. Because you'll do the exit interview, which is all just normally just fluff and nonsense, right? Um, six months after, ask them why they really left. Now that's gold dust because that's when they're going to really tell you. They're going to say, I didn't get on with Jim or Sue upset me or I didn't like being sat next to the air conditioner. They, they will tell you the truth here. And that is the stuff then you can bring back into your business because levers, and admittedly, sometimes the industry is just not right for certain people and they're going to go and become brilliant elsewhere. But, you know, a lever is a very expensive thing. You know, and if and it, normally it can be prevented um, and we'll dress it up and say, oh, yeah, they didn't perform or they didn't do this or they weren't liked. Well, that was probably down to the leader's fault. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it comes down to one original selection. And, you know, you know, I think what, what you know, it, it, it's a contract. Both sides have to do their bit. And, yeah. you know, I think it, it doesn't always happen on both sides. But one of the things that you know, I would always advise is do a three month review. And actually yeah. go back to what we said when you interviewed. What uh, you know, what we what we promised, what you promised. Have we both delivered on it? And just have that very real, honest conversation. There's an opportunity now for me to shoehorn another management model in. So I'm just going to have to quickly do it. All right. So another one by Patrick Lencioni. So we use this as a, for Seventh Wave. We use this for anyone who joins us, and it called the perfect team player. And he's got three circles like a Venn diagram, you know, the standard management model. You know, so first one, that anyone who joins his in this team is going to be humble. They've got to be hungry and they've got to be people smart. Now, if you think of the people that work with you that are humble, hungry and people smart, they're the best people to have around. Now, when I do this and deliver it into a lot of recruiters, we do add a fourth, a fourth circle. And the fourth one is commerciality. So they've got to have an awareness of money and awareness of turn. And when you put those four together, 
So then just imagine from the recruitment process of actually bringing them into the business, what questions do you ask to work out how humble they are? You know, then you have to think of a set of questions to ask them how hungry they are. And then what is their people like? What is their employer, um, emotional intelligence? How do you start to ascertain that? Now, imagine that, Andy. You come up with 20 or 30 questions on those circles. Straight away, the filter when you bring people into business is going to take out a lot because you get some really hungry people, the alpha alphas that sit there and go, I'm going to smash it today. And there's not engaging anyone else. It's humble, hungry, people smart. That's what you want. Get that right and you'll make money. I, I, used, I, used to, um, I used to have um, an interview technique where um, to find that humble um, or actually to find out what they were like, you know, was, yeah. was to, to ask the receptionist. Um, so oh, I used, I used to call it, yeah, I, used to call, I used to call it the Dina test. So yeah. I'd obviously do the interview <laughs> and I'd go and ask Dina what she thought, you know, and yeah. there's, there's a whole, you know, how you enter a building and how you leave a building and you know tells a lot you know and and also you get the classic ones on linkedin you take people out for you know for lunch and you know let them let them how do they treat the you know the waiter how do they treat the bar yeah those 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 type of things but i don't think you can question around because you know how how you know i think i think actions and behaviors are a lot um are a lot you know a lot more than that i mean there is there is the danger you end up just hiring all the same people that's you know that's that's yeah. really important to make sure you have diversity in your culture but I, I actually think you know how people behave when they're not looking at, not in an interview um you know is, is super important yeah and I think he's even thinking like that because a lot of uh, uh, developing leaders will go oh like, he's a lot like me or she's a lot like me I'm going to bring them into the fold and that's when it becomes very dangerous I think having a diverse workforce is 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 a key to success without a shadow of a doubt and then also pulling back to vulnerability, allowing, you know, even the newest member of staff to have an opinion and a thought in any form of interaction. So what do you think, James? I know you've only been here for two minutes, but what do you think? Because they've all got something to bring into the party. And, you know, and we talk about that an awful lot about how we come over and, you know, how hierarchy, parent, adult, child. You know, do you parent them? No, you have an adult, adult conversation and bring them in. That's it. And I think that's what we, that's our mentality in the training room anyway. Yeah. you know um, it sounds sounds good I'm, I'm you know if if i actually were running any teams and dealing with any any people then i'd, I'd, I'd probably come and get seventh wave myself or coached by you um <laughs> so um if we're having this chat in six months or or maybe a year um you know i guess last question for you what, what do you hope to achieve with seventh wave in in the in the coming year so if we have we have this chat and we go for a beer in a year's time what does good look like for you I, I would say that, you know, I, we love what we do. I, I, you know, I adore it. You know, it's, it sometimes doesn't feel like a job, you know, we just enjoy engaging with our teams and stuff. I think what would good look like in a year? I, I would say more of the same. I would say, you know, we've touched, you know, over a thousand companies now, we will have done in a year's time. I think that replication of that, I would say the reason I left being Q is so I can support more people than I could do working as the general manager. And I, I will just be expanding that, you know, so We'll be looking to bring more people on, working with more companies, but never dis, never diluting the quality of what we do. So in a year's time, I think there'll be more of that and, and more to share, really, and probably do more podcasts. And because this, you know, this is a medium we've probably not dipped our toe into much, so this is quite exciting. So we love doing stuff like that. So yeah, that's that's what I'll be doing.
They're fantastic. I mean, you, know, you, you can join the, the network through referrals. So a number of, you know, when we put out the sort of people we speak to about leadership um, training, you know, there was so much support for um, for you guys and also the members that have, you know, subsequently started working with you had nothing but praise. So, you know, we're, we're really pleased with, you know, how it's going. And um, yeah, I think I think the more of our members that you can help, the, the better. So, um, apart from finding you um, on our website, um, where else can people get hold of you or the team, Nick? So go through LinkedIn so you can find any of us on LinkedIn. Um, our website is www.7th-wave.co.uk or 7-wave.co.uk. I'll just yeah, sell on LinkedIn, really. That's probably the easiest way to come on. Just jump on and, and, and we're there. So, yeah, we've never advertised. We've only organically grown. So... We're not very good in the advertising spaces, a bit rubbish of us. But yeah, just give us a shout. You know, you'll, you'll find us and then we can have a chat. And and we'll literally just chat and talk about what you want to achieve and then see if, if it's any interest of what we do. So we don't sell. We say we never sell. We just share. And that's probably a better way of thinking. Oh, I love that. I might actually use that myself. So. <laughs> thanks, um, thanks so much for your time. Good catching up again. And um, we'll certainly speak before a year, but let's hope you can get, yeah. get to those numbers in the year. Take care. Uh, thanks for your time. Thanks for your time, Andy. I really appreciate it.